The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Farsberg. And I always forget, but I remember today to remind you, get your pen and paper ready, because I can assure you that Phil always has something to say that uh, I didn't know, and I write him down. And um, he, uh, I think he was, I'm not sure, but I think he goes back to... Uh, when Sherman came through Atlanta, I'm not quite sure, but that's his hero, is Sherman. So uh, he he may have something important to say about that. And uh, he's always, he's just a walking, talking encyclopedia. So good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, David, and good afternoon to the entire listening audience. Well, I, I, I've got a business for us, uh, I think, Phil. Um it's called extension cords, and I figured we'd start the show off. Well, let's start it off like we always do. First, with remembering our veterans, remembering uh, those that have given the ultimate sacrifice. And over the weekend, I was talking to uh, some Johns Creek firemen and uh, thank them for their service. So we always thank our our first responders as well, and we do that by taking a moment. And having a moment of silence, and we ask that you remember those that have kept us free. We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you. And one other thing we want to do is that we want to make sure that your heart's beating good. And I remember, we all remember what kept us going in the Army or I don't know what the Navy, I know the uh, Marine Corps, they do the same thing. But we always want to be sure your heart's beating. And there we go, and we all feel good after uh, a cadence call, a little Jody there. And um, like I said, uh, Phil, it looks like I've got a business for us, and that's going into the extension cord business. And I I wanted your um, input on this and see if you're willing to partner with me on the extension cord business. 
And uh, that's the only way I can figure that what the DOD wants to do with putting, giving, or making the military use EVs. And, um, you know, we're out in the middle of the desert, and we run out of juice, so we just go to our extension card. <clears throat> yeah, um, it, you know, it just gets curiouser and curiouser, to uh, quote Winnie the Pooh. Um, I, it's it's a uh, conundrum to me how we can uh, come up with such a series of bad ideas. Um, <clears throat> each one seems uh, more absurd than the one before, uh, and it's... It, uh, it, it just seems uh, that the folks uh, who are making these decisions uh, are just hell bent for uh, weaken our defenses. Um, I can tell you that uh, you know right now they're saying, "Well, we're just we're just talking about the administrative vehicles that the Department of Defense uses." Hmm. Well, <clears throat> that that's not the case. Uh, they they have their designs on all tactical vehicles to be electric. And uh, if that were not the case, why would they start with the Department of Defense when there are so many other departments within the federal government they could go to? So they they have a definite idea of uh, weakening um, our our, uh, our national defenses, and it's really pretty sad. You know, I just had the thought that we what we ought to do is come up with a set of plans uh, showing how to build a electric tank and send them direct UPS or FedEx to China and let they let them build them and see how far it goes well you know with all the money that's been paid to the Biden crime family I think it's the the, uh, the opposite is happening that the uh, Chinese are coming up with the most absurd and damaging uh, policies and then sending them direct to uh, President Brandon for implication and implementation. I mean, you know, I've talked about this with a couple of other hosts, and like you said, how could somebody even come up with this idea? Obviously, they haven't been in the military, but beyond that, how could how could a rational person? think that an electric vehicle particularly a tank was was going to work in in any situation whether it's jungled or desert it doesn't matter it's still not going to work and when you yeah. call for fuel what what are you going to have a electrical truck show up and, and charge you we'll just pause the battle for a few hours while we recharge yeah now, where's that recharging station again? Uh, it's, it boggles the mind. Um, it puts me in mind of Jimmy Carter uh, asking his uh, daughter, uh, nine-year-old daughter, Amy, for a nuclear policy. Uh, just This is just the same otherworldly wisdom that... Uh, yeah, it can only come from either Berkeley or straight from Beijing. Hmm. And don't forget the attack rabbit with Jimmy Carter. 
Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I understand that Joe Biden has asked Jimmy Carter to do his eulogy. <laughs> well, it's which one goes first, I guess, huh? Uh, but, and is that physically or mentally? Uh, either one being coherent. Hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, speaking of fuel, uh, when we were in Desert Storm, every single thing that we operated ran off of a uh, wide-cut kerosene that we call JP-8, JP being a jet propellant. Um, it's, it's a fuel that burns in turbine engines. Of course, the M1 tank had, uh, had turbine engines. It's uh, amazing to think of uh, how they did that. Uh, but a very, very powerful engine in a very small compartment, lightweight, uh, producing a huge amount of power. Um, all of our trucks were diesel. They they burned that same uh, wide cut JP eight. Uh, <clears throat> JP. When I first started flying helicopters, we were using JP four, uh, which uh, was a, a great fuel. But uh, the Navy didn't like it at all because of, uh, it had a, kind of a high uh, or a low flash point, and uh, they're very concerned about uh, on the aircraft carriers, uh, any kind of crash, fuel spill, and ensuing fire. Uh, you can imagine, you know, you're out at sea, you're living on this uh, steel island that you got floating around, and, uh, you know, if that thing catches fire, uh, there's a whole lot of people in a bad way. So they take, uh, the Navy, I know, takes firefighting very, very seriously, um, and so, uh the solution that the Navy had was JP-8, and uh, it was just uh, magnificent, and the the King of Saudi Arabia uh, provided all the JP-8 we needed to fight that war. Uh, It was really amazing. You could pull into these little roadside uh, fuel stations that were operated by uh, the U.S. Army, or uh, I guess in some cases... uh, might have been some other services, but you pull in and uh, fill you up. Wouldn't charge anything. I can recall asking you. Probably the oldest private I ever seen in my life come from the Army Reserve somewhere in Mississippi, and uh, he fueled up my tank and wished me a good day. And I asked him if they uh, gave green stamps. <laughs> and, uh, I think he was he was old enough to remember what I was talking about. Uh, and probably had one of the best, better attitudes of any of the soldiers I've met uh, in Desert Storm. I thought that was amazing. He was being, being paid so little and asked to do so much so far from home, and yet uh, he just had a fantastic attitude about things. I still remember that guy to this day. But I will tell you that <clears throat> there's one exception to the JP-8 thing. Uh, you know, uh, uh, as you know, I, I flew the... Uh, OV-1 Mohawk in uh, Desert Storm and uh, <clears throat> this is a uh, an aircraft that was devised well, before I was born in the late 50s um, and they went to uh, uh, 
the various systems they put on there. One of, one of the most uh, uh, useful systems that we had during the war was uh, this side-looking airborne radar. And there was a, a contraption in the right seat of the airplane that was operated by a, a systems operator that, uh, you know, produced imagery of what was going on beyond the front lines and um, <clears throat> deep in the enemy's rear areas. And uh, so this imagery would, uh, we had a, a UHF data link that would send the same uh, imagery down to a ground station terminal uh, that was mounted in the back of a truck. And because it, it needed, uh, uh, now I'm going to start boring people, but <clears throat> the uh, aircraft uh, uh, AC power is 115 volts. Uh, three-phase, uh, uh, 400 hertz, um, and it, that's the same AC that was in the ultra-modern uh, 777 freighter that I flew after uh, I left the service, and it's a standard aircraft uh, AC system, but that's what powered this uh, this rig that uh, produced the imagery, uh, and they had the same exact rig in the uh, in the terminals, in these uh, ground station terminals on the backs of trucks, so they needed one 15-volt, three-phase, 400 hertz uh, power, and there was only one generator that the Army had that would produce this, and since this was uh, a throwback to your Vietnam days, uh, it did not use diesel fuel. It used gasoline, or what they call MoGas. And... Um, <clears throat> And uh, so that got me uh, kind of uh, unpopular with the uh, logisticians in the uh, 18th Corps headquarters, the uh, 24th Infantry Division, 101st, uh, and uh, where I had my ground station terminal. Uh, uh, so not only not only did it create a demand for gasoline which, you know, out in the middle of the desert was kind of a, uh, a tall order. But uh, also, uh, all the generators that we had, you know, had been modernized over the years, were uh, ultra-quiet uh, generators. And uh, my gasoline-powered generators that were required for my ground station terminals were in no way uh, silent. Uh, they were very loud and they burned gasoline and it was a real sore point but you know uh, that's why when you plan these things out you uh, you need to plan for the whole thing you know if you're, if you're going to modernize in one area you got to modernize across the board and I'm sure they looked at the Mohawk and said well this is such an old system we won't be we won't be using it by the time we get into the next conflict, so they made that maybe a low priority. But in any event, there we are. Hmm. Um, we won the war anyway. <laughs> um, in spite of the planners, they must have been, uh, some of those planners must have been, oh, and, and the ones with the DOD wanting to uh, turn everything into a Navy. Why do I have this 
sick feeling that they may have orchestrated the retreat out of Afghanistan. Yeah, she seems to have a similar uh, skill and uh, military uh, acumen come up with something as absurd as this. Um, I w- <clears throat> anyway, it's a uh, this is a, a difficult thing that uh, future warfare contend with the consequences of the idiotic um, decisions that are being made this time. Um, it's really quite sad. I I just wonder if Mayorkas is on the same committee. Yeah, isn't that interesting? They have a, 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 a similar <clears throat> effectiveness when it comes to our national security on uh, homeland security. Hmm. I uh, just maybe they're gonna maybe they're gonna string wire on the fence, and as we drive up and down the the border, we can charge our vehicles. Or maybe we'll just power everything off of good vibes. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, fairy dust. Yeah. I, I just, I'm like you. You know, you, you wake up in the morning, get up, and it's like when I first heard about the EV and, and, uh, and the DOD, I just said, no. You know, how could they come up with that? And like you said, it just gets worser and worser. And uh, you just wonder, uh, you know, the other thing I wonder about, and maybe you can shed some light on this, if they're really contemplating, you know, and they won't contemplate anything without doing a million-dollar study on it, how much have we already spent finding out that that's the most stupid idea that they've come up with yet? Um, well, you know, there's a lot of competition for stupidest idea from this administration. <laughs> um, so, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so quick to say it's the stupidest, but uh, it certainly has an honorable mention, if not. And how much have they spent already? You know, if if government waste makes you uh, nauseous, then the Department of Defense is a very difficult place for you to be around. But uh, I used to tell people, well, we're not inexpensive, but we are highly effective. <laughs> Yeah, and nobody's crossing the border. I, you know, I can't even see going to EVs in Washington, D.C. for all the bureaucrats, you know? It just, and uh, obviously California couldn't handle it. So, well, anyway... Enough of that, and back to uh, Desert Shield and Desert Storm. I just, there got to be a lot of people shaking their head. To to give you an example 
uh, of, you know, the economy of scale that we're talking about here. Um, used to be, when, back when I flew cargo, I would load up my 777 with about 185,000 pounds of uh, rubber dog poop or whatever it is that people wanted to get out of Hong Kong. And I put 200,000 pounds of jet fuel in the wings and I take off and fly that thing for 15 hours all the way to Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, today, if you if you say, well, you know, let's go with an electric airplane. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a great idea. The Army has an electric airplane. Um, it weighs a total of about three pounds, and <clears throat> it can carry a little uh, iPhone-type uh, camera on it with a transmitter and uh, it can fly for about 40 minutes and then when it lands it uh, will smash into the ground and break into uh, five different pieces uh, because it has, doesn't have landing gear, it's just designed to dissipate its uh, kinetic energy by breaking into pieces hmm. uh, that can be snapped back together so, so that's what you have with an electric airplane versus a 766,000-pound airplane that I would fly from Hong Kong to Cincinnati purely on jet fuel. And uh, the amount of energy, you know, per weight that is contained uh, in uh, jet fuel is enormous, and that's, that's what makes the whole thing possible. If somebody, you know, and people tell me, well, we're just not there yet. Well, <laughs> you ought to take a class in thermodynamics and uh, tell me how you're going to get that kind of energy from a battery. It's um, just absurd. You know, the, the Air Force uh, many years ago looked at... Um, uh, they, they liked the Navy's idea of having uh, nuclear-powered aircraft carriers and nuclear-powered submarines. The Air Force thought, well, you know, maybe we could eliminate the need for, you know, so many refueling stops or aerial refueling by having a nuclear-powered aircraft. And um, so what they, uh, they tried making a little miniature nuclear reactor the reality is that the uh, the amount of shielding that you needed, hmm. either lead or concrete or a hmm. combination of those, to protect the crew from dying from radiation, uh, made it such that the aircraft couldn't get off the ground. Huh. And rather than insisting uh, that good vibes and this, you know, wonderful idea would would eventually work once we got our technology to a certain point they completely scrapped it let me being in the oil business as i am uh, let me ask you a hypothetical question and we we both understand that this administration would like to do away with the oil industry 
And so my question is, and I, I know it really sounds like I'm as stupid, I should be a part of the administration, but where does jet fuel come from? Well, it comes from petroleum. <laughs> well, we're going to do away with that and just have trees. Well, I mean, trees, uh, if you cut them down and chop them up, they, there's a lot of energy in there, but nowhere near what is in uh, petroleum. And uh, I have a friend who's working hard on making this uh, biodiesel, and, he, he, you know, he's working for... Um, you know, make a, some sort of breakthrough that would uh, would provide uh, a fuel that was basically produced by microorganisms or something. I don't. Um, but uh, it's wonderful. I mean, I wish him luck. I hope he can come up with it. But uh, in the end, you, you know, you still have to, to burn this. This fuel. I mean, it, it's a different idea than than uh, batteries or or electronically or electronically powered uh, vehicles. You know, I mean, the locomotives you see driving up and down the tracks they they run on electric motors, but the noise that you hear on those locomotives are the diesel generators that are generating the electrical power to run those electric loads. So um, it's kind of like your hybrid, like your uh, your Honda Prius. Uh, you use petroleum to generate the electricity. And that's good in a lot of ways. Um, I, think it'll, I don't think it would power an aircraft of any significance. Do you, do you feel like our government continues to try to reinvent the wheel with a square peg? Uh, it certainly seems like it. Um, you know, once again, I said, you know, people who think that uh, battery powered things are uh, actually going to uh, be the answer for the future. Do you, probably need to take a class in thermodynamics to understand where energy comes from. Uh, I don't know. Um, I have a friend that told me that the uh, today's known oil reserves, the amount of petroleum that we know about that's available in the ground throughout the world today is more than we've ever known about. So... Um, you know, we probably have more than a thousand years of supply in known in the ground right now um, at our current consumption rate. Um, well, I, you know, I know from the Permian Basin in Texas, uh, they've discovered that there's over 250 billion, with a B, barrels of oil there. And they projected out how, you know, how long we could last. And many times past my lifetime, many, many times. And, you know, I can remember 
back in the, uh, I guess, late 50s, early 60s, uh, you know, the cry from D.C. was, we're running out of fuel, we're running out of oil, we can't drill anymore, the sky is falling, you know. The sky is falling. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's called the bum rush, right? Yeah. Like uh, Al Gore would say, there's, there's no time to check the facts. We have to act now or we're done for. Yeah. <laughs> you hear somebody saying that, you know he's a con man. It just, you know, and, and you expect those comments from this administration. And, um, yeah. We, uh, we proved many years ago, back, like I said, in the 60s, that they didn't know how much, but our seismographics uh, were proving day in and day out the amount of oil. And I'm just addressing Texas. I'm not counting Alaska and and uh, many other states that and Pennsylvania that has quite an oil reserve. Pennsylvania, New York, the Dakotas. Uh, yeah, uh, there's plenty of them. So... And I, <laughs> and you know, David, these environmentalists, that, you know, are, want to save the the planet for uh, future generations. So the ones that are going out and having themselves voluntarily sterilized so they can save the planet. Hmm. My only question is, who are you saving it for? Yeah, I mean, must be saving it for my kids and my grandkids. Well. <laughs> You know, the planet's done pretty well for the last few billion years without these woke folks, and uh, I think I think we'll survive and keep if we don't if we as the population don't do something really stupid. But other than that, we've got the resources. I just need a little rain in Texas. That's all I need. But, well, we've had enough here in Georgia. We can send some of it. Well, yeah, unfortunately, it it jumped over where I need it and came to Georgia. <laughs> and we're, we're getting the... Yeah, I think, our, I think our reservoirs are full here now. Oh, I would imagine. Boy, we had one the other night. Mm. Or I, Friday morning or Saturday morning, one or the other, we had a another gully washer, but... Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about, I was thinking about this the other day, that we ought to uh, line up a bunch of tanker planes and load them up with water and fly them over West Texas and let them dump the water. Well, or maybe a pipeline. Well, somehow the other, the... Braden administration would find that illegal. Brandon. <laughs> right now. Yeah. But anyway, it's, uh, yeah. it is amazing. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Philip Forsberg right after this. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, 
Contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. And we're back on America's Web Radio with Remembering Desert Chill and Desert Storm. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, we also not only work with veterans... But we also work with uh, first responders, and uh, I'm about to sneeze, so if I go off the air, it's because I'm sneezing. But anyway, excuse me. Uh, I met some of the nicest uh, Johns Creek firemen you could ever imagine, and uh, they, uh, you know, we are so blessed to have people that volunteer for the military raise their hand and put their life on the line and at the same token we have the same people that jump on the fire truck they have no clue what they're getting into when they jump on the fire truck they don't know what they're going to and it could be could either be a fire a structural fire or it could be a an automobile accident any number of things and then we have the uh, EMTs that also jump on jump in the ambulance and they don't know where they're headed as well as we all know and appreciate or I do anyway appreciate our local police departments they never know what they're getting into when they take a call and are dispatched so with that being said back to talking about Fuel and desert shield and desert storm. You know, Phil, we, we, we haven't discussed this very much, but I know recruiting is down and down seriously from uh, what it has been and or what we need, not what it has been, but what we need. And, uh, you know, with... These idiotic ideas, I couldn't imagine joining the military right now. Not with the administration that we've got. It's, uh, you know, it's quite a challenge, I think. Um, uh, Today, this past week, a friend of mine uh, who served with me in Army Aviation... Uh, sent me an article that uh, the Army uh, is now telling uh, aviators who were of the understanding that they had satisfied their uh, commitment that, oh, no, we're not going to let you out. You're going to have to spend another three years uh, in the Army that you weren't counting on. And, uh, you know, uh that's really telling uh, 
you know, uh, to, to, you know, get the jump on folks and, and tell them, oh no, you're, you're not done yet. You, uh, and fulfilled your, uh, obligation when, uh, you know, it's essentially renegotiating the contract. Uh, and, uh, it's really an underhanded thing to do. Um, and, well, um, they're just lucky that, <clears throat> that, uh, people who, uh, are, learn to fly in the service, uh, then later go into, uh, being Union Airline pilots because, uh, Union Airline pilots would certainly know how to handle this situation. Um, it, you know, it's, it's just mind-boggling, as you say, that, that they would come up with these things, and, and it's just one bad news story after another with this uh, gang of idiots. Uh, it, it's really, you know, it's frightening. It's really frightening what, what it's doing to our national security, and uh, I'm quite frankly sick of it. And, you know, another thing that, in my opinion, makes it even worse is the fact that the public doesn't realize it or doesn't respond to it. And uh, we're going to have to take action, and it can't be later. It's got to be soon. And uh, we just can't go on and on forever accepting this kind of thing. I don't see how a border system city in Texas can survive much longer. It's, uh, you know, it's really sad and, and criminal, really, what's going on uh, is the term I'd use. So I think uh, uh, the people who are responsible for causing all this damage to our national security eventually be made uh, to face the uh, consequences of their actions and, um, be made to uh, to pay um, um, it's, it's really sad I, I think that uh, our nation would get to this state no and in my life I I didn't either and and you know, never anticipated, you know, and, and we're, uh, in my opinion, it's going to get a lot, lot worse than it's ever going to get better. And that's, uh, we, the spanking situation is going to be bad. Our national debt is just beyond belief. And then Congress raises the debt ceiling. I don't, you know, I, I really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, nor does anyone else. At least I care about what's happening, but uh, I don't think, I'm not sure the general public does. I hope they do, but, uh, you know, um, I don't know. And it's, uh, just like you said, it's, 
it just seems like it gets scarier and scarier day in and day out. Yeah, you just can't imagine. You're almost afraid to get up in the morning to find out what new uh, brilliant decision has been made. Yeah. Hmm. It is, it is. Um, okay. You know, we've, we've addressed this, I think, one other time. But I, I look at it like how important it is, even more so today than, than yesterday, probably. And that is, the way our world is today and all the things that are going on that uh, the role of the chaplain in our military and how important his or her training can and should be to help us get through all of this. You know, um, chaplains uh, can really provide some comfort and, and guidance and counseling um, in, uh, in situations where folks uh, uh, find themselves. Uh, they say there's no atheists in foxholes. Uh, and, uh, well, I would imagine there probably are some, but... Uh, they're not, I don't think they're very happy or secure in what they're doing. No. Uh, <clears throat> and I remember, you know, during Desert Storm, getting together with uh, my fellow believers uh, and, you know, getting on our knees in the sand there and uh, imploring God to uh, protect our troops and to uh, give us effectiveness in what we were doing. And actually, you know, limit the loss of life to our enemy. Um, we weren't, you know, we, it was not our delight to get out there and, uh, and take the lives of others. But <clears throat> the mission we've been given. And, you know, this is something that, uh, people that have never served don't understand uh, the seriousness of the right hand being raised and you know signing the ultimate check yeah, it's deadly serious it is and uh, that's why you know anytime you're going through the airport or any place, and you see a, a a veteran wearing a cap. I served on the whatever, or you know, I'm a veteran. What you know, whatever the cap or whatever might be. Um, you you know, you need to reach out to them and thank them, and that means a whole lot to any veteran. Yeah, I. Uh, <clears throat> I, I do uh, regularly thank veterans for their service uh, and uh, you know uh, 
and uh, they, you know, some of them don't really know how to take it. Uh, but uh, you know, you run into all sorts of folks, and uh, they need to know that the nation appreciates their uh, their sacrifice. And you know, you take these guys. You know, with uh, we have uh, we've lost. Uh, 12 soldiers in the past uh, couple of weeks uh, you know in these Army Aviation Act where uh, aircraft have collided and the Army's uh, done a stand down there They've, uh, everything has to stop flying unless it's absolutely essential and uh, you know they're trying to you know look introspectively about you know what, what's causing this but, uh, you know, you can, you know that when you get out there and you strap on that helicopter, um, you are um, in a situation uh, where you're going to be going out and flying very fast, very close to the ground, uh, in a lot of cases under uh, night vision goggles where, you know, yeah, it helps you see, but your vision, you know, that we re- require that our Army aviators have 20-20 vision by the time they're get done uh, strapping on all this equipment, and their vision is down to about 2200, and they're going to be flying very low and very fast um, with a lot of energy next to, uh, next to the ground, and it's... Uh, it's a situation that, that can, in a moment, turn deadly. And I think, you know, part of what they may be doing right now is uh, making sure that these uh, fellows know just how dangerous their uh, their, their operations are. Uh, and, and uh, you know, what, what can happen. You know, I do recall uh, we were... At one point, um, flying uh, something we had developed called high energy tactics, and it was very low, and it was very fast. And uh, some of the older, uh, more experienced guys, just, if uh, if you're ever doing this and you don't feel a little bit scared or apprehensive, you better stop doing it. Right. If you, if you feel comfortable doing this, you better stop. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where the folks need to have that reminder now. That you know, they're doing it. But, you know, they they don't have to go to Iraq, Syria, or Afghanistan uh, in order to face these dangers. You know, they face them every day uh, just doing their regular training missions and training for the, the combat which is uh, doubly deadly. And then, you know, uh, and like I've said before, these guys out on the on the high seas in their vessels, you know, that, uh, that presents a great deal of hazard as it is. And the chemicals and equipment that they work around, um, you know, these things can be quite hazardous and, and deadly in a very short, you know, moment. Blink of an eye. Um, and I think uh, I think we got a lot of guys that 
that got a lot of experience very fast in uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I think uh, now they're going to be they've been cutting back on flying hours and, and training, and uh, you know these these newer uh, youngsters that are out there they don't seem to uh, they don't seem to uh, apprehend the um, the danger that's going on, and that the guys that have that have seen all that experience are the ones who are trying to lead. Here again, this is something that um, is uh, like you said; they don't necessarily see the danger, and yet, you know, you, you can be just as hurt. In a training accident, as you can in a combat zone, and uh, there are, you know, I don't know, I don't have any statistics on it, but I'm sure there's, if the truth be known, there are a lot of, a lot of training accidents and and uh, some training deaths as well. Yeah, far too many, and you know uh, the, the statisticians that keep these things—they call them non-battle death injuries—things that can happen in a combat zone that uh, were um, not caused by uh, by enemy action. Um, you know, I can recall in Desert Storm numerous. Um, Motor vehicle accidents have claimed the lives of our soldiers. Um, you know, it's the stuff you you work around, and you know if you you have to know. I mean, we have we have highway deaths in America all the time. Uh, imagine if uh, if some of the safeguards that uh, people uh, regard as uh, Fundamental, you know, here in stateside peacetime. Imagine if those were taken away. Um, what our uh, what our traffic fatalities would be like? Be enormous. Well, it you know it's um, I th- for lack of better words, it's all in planning, and just like. <laughs> Just like the DOD and the EVs, you know, there is no planning in that. And yet, if you take Desert Shield and Desert Storm before we ever, and and you were there, so you can you can certainly jump in and correct me. But we the the logistics planning was twenty four seven, getting enough fuel trucks. Hello, did I say fuel trucks? Uh, fuel trucks prepared to go into Desert Shield and Desert Storm because if a M1 runs out of fuel, it's not very useful. Nope. No, if it uh, becomes a static display and you can build a VFW around it. <laughs> and that's what we need in... Uh, 
That's what we needed in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, huh? Um, but that's that's why we have people that are in logistics, and they put together this is what we're going to do, and this is what we need to do, and and uh, this is how much we need to do, and how many vehicles and personnel, and uh, just like the your gas operator on the side of the road. Uh, you know, how many of those were there? A number. And yeah, every time I needed one, there was run right down the road. And you've heard me say before, uh, David, that the, you know the logistics planners are some of the real heroes of, of that conflict. That's, what, that's why we were ready. Uh, you know, that's why we were able to accomplish what we did in the, in the time frame that we did was because people had uh, had spent the time and the effort uh, to go through, you know, and, it, and it's like this electric vehicle thing. You, you hadn't got through the, the you know, third and fourth order of consequence of these things. Um, you know, you, you can't. You, you can't do these things by fiat. You have, I mean, you have, you have to consider the reality of the universe we live in. And uh, it just it, it just seems like there are so many uh, rank amateurs uh, put in position to uh, to make if the decisions these days. It's uh, just frightening. It is. And... Uh it's very frightening, and we uh, action is going to have to be taken at some point, and people are going to have to stand up and you know ask the question: Are you kidding? An EV, uh, a tank as an EV, it just it isn't going to happen. And I, you know, I. Uh, How do you get their attention? It's like the well, VA you know, is is costing lives because they spend money in research, but would you believe there hasn't been one dollar spent by the VA for oral research? They don't have one dentist doing research out of the thousands of doctors that they have and people working for the VA? Uh, you know, I can believe that. Uh, there are a lot of areas that, that could be improved with the VA. Uh, my experience is uh, they'll do the work if you make them, which is, you know, why I do what I do with, with uh the disabled American veterans who specialize in making the VA do their job. Well, you know, that's not the way that we look at it, nor is it the way it should be. When uh, when you raised your hand and said you would fight, the VA turned around and said, we're going to take care of you, whether it's under a battle situation or under when you get out. We're still going to take care of you. 
And uh, they've basically said, we'll take care of you from the neck down, and we'll do research and we'll try to improve on things. But my question is, the best I remember, my head's attached to my shoulders, and it's part of my body. And they said, we'll take care of you. They didn't say we're going to exclude your dental wellness, your oral wellness. Yeah. Um, it's definitely something that could be improved. Um, I, I will say the um, <clears throat> there are a lot of good practitioners at the VA but there are a lot of uh, bureaucrats that seem to stand in the way of uh, getting things done. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't the VA that said they would take care of this. Uh, no, it was know, the government. Service people. It was our national government. And their response to taking care of the veteran was to create the VA and to fund and staff the VA um, and... You know, there, there's a congressman from the 8th District of Ohio who's now for the second time introduced a uh, bill before Congress uh, suggesting that uh, if, you know, if it were passed, that all members of the House and Senate and their staff would have to get all of their health care through the VA to let them get a taste of, of what veterans experience at the VA. And, of course, it... Uh, it didn't pass in the last Congress, but it's likely not to pass in this Congress. I I think you're right. I I don't think it stands a snowball chance. Uh, they may be dumb and they may be stupid, but they want their health care. Yeah. Well, they know they know what's worthless and what's not. Yeah. You know. On that note, it's time to. Uh, close out another session of remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Phil, thank you again. It's always great to have you on and I uh, always look forward to the show and I, I hope a lot of people wore out their pencils listening. <laughs> Thanks, David. Take care. Yes, sir. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.